The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Today, we're going to be talking about an IRA, an individual retirement account. Your guide to financial freedom and retirement free from the stress of monetary concerns. Compound, tax-free interest. Ride that Dow Jones. No, don't turn this off. I'm kidding. Please, don't turn me off. We're going to be talking about something much more exciting, although it will not help your financial future nearly as much uh, to learn about today's real subject, the Irish Republican Army. Those guys and gals who have, since their inception, been viewed as a liberation force by some and as a terrorist group by others. They fight for the liberation of Northern Ireland uh, from whom they view as British foreign oppressors. But as you'll find out today, their case is not so simple. Their case, uh, not obviously just Uh, They've been lighting up Northern Ireland and England with bombs and gunfire for damn near 100 years now, you know, and they're still around. And and why? Why are they still around? Does Northern Ireland even need or want liberating currently? We dig deep into Ireland's history and the formation and then latter evolution of the Irish Republican Army today on a boom, boom edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. What's going on, time suckers and space lizards? Happy Monday. Thanks for all the recent reviews and ratings. Wow, over 2,700 now on iTunes alone. That's a lot. Thanks for all the reviews elsewhere. And, uh, and to the thousands and thousands of you who now listen on the Time Suck app. Going to talk about that in a bit. Uh, I'm Dan Cummins, a.k.a. the Suck Wizard, a.k.a. Old Dirty Suck Master, a.k.a. He Who Sucks the Most High, a.k.a. all of the fun titles you guys keep throwing my way. And you're listening to Time Suck. Recording from the Suck Lair with Assistant General Suck Master Josh Carell. Huge thanks to the over 1,200 of you who have signed up to be Space Lizards now. Keep an eye on your Patreon emails for new posts regarding updates. Uh, you know, I've posted a lot of uh, common common uh, problems, you know, uh, fixes for those uh, in various posts. So if you look down, like how to link your Patreon account, I do a lot of step-by-step things. And we're going to be doing some video tutorials. And uh, recording this in the past, again, due to my tour schedule, 
Uh, hopefully, hopefully Google has stopped fush- fucking with the suck now. If it hasn't, uh, please hit up Google on social media, such as at Google on Instagram, and just, uh, you know, try to demand that they release the Time Suck app update. You know, just put hashtag free the suck. Let's see if we can get a little hashtag social media campaign all posted at them just for them to release the update or at least just, you know, tell the team at BitElixir what's going on. They've been the worst. Uh, but we're on it. I actually bought a Google uh, Android phone. I, I don't I don't have that as part of my plan, but I bought one so I could figure out how to use the Google Play Store um, so I could help out you Android users. And, man, I got to say, on the app level, Google fucking sucks compared to Apple. Uh, I, I know they're better as a company in some ways, but, man, they're way behind with apps. I fucking hate them. Um, but there are, uh, some, you know, some things we can do. And I'm going to talk about that, uh, here in just a second. I I hope those of you who did get to hear it did enjoy, uh, the first secret suck episode. It was on Thursday. We're going to be refining that, making it better. And, uh, and I thought we had a nice little start. So I really, really appreciate that. Um, and yeah, and and on Google. So what, what I did is I got that phone and I figured out kind of what you can do. What you can do is you can go to Patreon. Here's how you get until Google releases the update. Here's how you can listen to the secret suck in the easiest, most convenient way. Okay, if you're an Android or or you're an iOS user who doesn't want to use the Time Suck app, we're also just uh, smoothing out a couple little glitches that most people haven't experienced, but a few people have. So we're working on everything right now just to have it really running smoothly real quick. Uh, Bitelixer team has been working their butts off. But here's what you can do. Go to the Patreon page, my, the Time Suck Patreon page, uh, so you know uh, you know how to find uh, find it uh, because you have found it. Uh, otherwise, you wouldn't be a space lizard. So, so go there and then go to the overview. Click overview, and then you will see this, there is a, a button for the for the RSS feed. All right, so here's, here's what you do. Uh, you just scroll down on the overview, and you will see audio RSS link right under your patronage. You'll see a little link in a box. Click it so it's high, highlighted. You know, click copy, and then... Uh, if you're an Apple user, open the app just called Podcast, click Library at the bottom, and then you'll see an Edit button in the top right corner of the iPhone. Click it. Then click Add a Podcast by URL, and then just paste that link from Patreon. And then a Subscribe check mark uh, should just pop up on your phone like it did on mine. Uh, then you just hit Done, and with me, the secret suck was right there, and now I'm subscribed, and we'll just be uh, I'll be posting that every week on Patreon as well, just to keep that feed going. Uh, for Android users, uh, there truly isn't an equivalent in Google Play Music uh, to the Apple Podcast app because Google is uh, fucking terrible, uh, and they're a company of nothing but monsters and child murderers, or so I've heard. However, you can download uh, a very popular app through the Google Play Store called Podcast Attic. It's the best one I found. It's free. On the home screen, you will find a plus button, little plus sign surrounded by a circle on either the top toolbar or the bottom toolbar, depending on how you kind of went into the app. Click it. Just click that little plus button, and then there are options to add a new podcast, these big, colorful boxes. The second one down on the left says RSS feed, uh, YouTube, Twitch channel, SoundCloud, URL. Click that box, and then you just paste the RSS feed from Patreon that you copied earlier onto the line that says RSS feed URL. Click done, and then boom, the secret suck should just be right there in your library uh, with the top of the logo cut off because, again, uh, fuck Google. But seriously, it should work fine. It's working fine on my Android phone, and I've had it for an hour, and I don't know, and I've never played with an Android phone ever before in my life. So it, I, I did all that, and it worked great. And then for you Android users, until Google stops holding the update hostage, uh, you can just go to timesuckpodcast.com on either your mobile or uh, on the web, and you can do your topic voting, and uh, and you can do 
the um, send in audio messages. So you can do that because uh, Google has nothing to do with the with the web version, so they can't fuck with us. Uh, yeah. So so not delivering all the space lizard perks to Android users in one convenient spot yet because our hands are tied, but you still get everything right now. And, and please, if you're having problems, uh, check out the Patreon post for how to fix them first. If that still doesn't fix it, email BitElixir, timesuck app at bitelixir.co. They're great at getting back with fixes. And uh, also a quick note on the podcast app in general for all users, if to, just to refresh episodes, pull down on the episode list. Just like to, you just grab your screen, you know, scroll it down, and that will refresh the episode list for both Time Suck and The Secret Suck. Also, when sending in voice messages, please preview your message before sending them in to make sure they've recorded. You just hit the microphone button again to play it back. And again, if you're having trouble, you know, with with, with any of that, you can email the uh, the, the podcast guys at, at um, timesuckapp at bitelixir.co. That, that works for the website people as well. Okay, qu- couple quick tour announcements, and then we're, uh, then we're sucking some Irish folk. Thanks to you New York suckers for making uh, Sunday night in Gotham really pop. I appreciate the support once again. Uh, trying to get more photos from shows up on the uh, Instagram feed. Uh, Detroit, February 16th, the Magic Bag in Ferndale. Man, that's coming up this week. Swap cast with the boys from Small Town Murder. Couple tickets left. Stand-up show has been sold out for a while. Minneapolis is next, March 2nd and 3rd. Sisyphus Brewing. Few tickets left only for the Saturday early show. Grab those quick if you want them. Brea, California, Cleveland, Ohio, coming up in March. Brea Improv, March 8th through 11th. Hilarities in Cleveland, March 22 through 24th. Two great clubs. Going to be fun shows you don't want to miss. More tour dates at dancummins.tv. More announcements to help you guys out at the end of the show. Time now for the Irish Republican Army. Opinions on the IRA vary wildly. Some see them as honorable and courageous group of freedom fighters, refusing to lie down against overwhelming odds in the battle for a unified Ireland, free from British rule. Others see them as no better than ISIS, a misguided group of terrorists fighting for a nonsensical and outdated ideal. They claim to fight for a unified Ireland, no more Northern Ireland under the bomb of the UK, under the thumb, one big Ireland, under Irish rule. How many Irish listeners are agitated right now at the patronising accent I've tried to slip into this podcast. There's a fairly large contingent of Irish time suckers. How furious are you right now that I I was unable to completely figure out your Irish accent, but it sounds good to my ears, and I'm proud of myself, even though it's terrible. How native are the native Irish Catholics? Do they they really have any more legitimacy to their claim for the island at this point than the Norman invaders. Who does Ireland really belong to? How much longer am I going to try to keep this this accent up before inevitably cracking and, and falling into some kind of American redneck mishmash? Well, to understand the roots of the IRA and the conflict with Britain, we have to dive into a brief history of Ireland. Not going to go into too much detail in any one era. Got to save in-depth, uh, in-depth research for future sucks on Irish historical figures and groups like the Druids. But uh, but let's get into their origins. Let's uh, let's timeline it right now. Let's get into this shit. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time suck timeline. All right, so here we go. A little little timeline. Get into the history of who the people in in Ireland uh, used to be uh, before we can examine uh, why there's a conflict now. Uh, Eight thousand B E B B E. Eight thousand B E. Uh, when is that? I don't know. No, 8,000 BCE, roughly 10,000 years ago, historians estimate that Ireland was first settled by humans, kind of. Initially, it was just gingers, uh, who we all know are human-ish at best. 
Uh, redheads have, have long been understood by scientists to have, you know, most but not all human attributes. Missing, of course, the ability to reason, uh, quietly uh, consume alcohol, and defend themselves against sunshine. A force of nature that literally gives life to most organisms, but spells certain death or at least a lot of wrinkles and possible skin cancer for weak, fragile, clown hair having ginger motherfuckers. Kidding, of course. Just wanted to fire up some of you fire crotches. Love you, pe- love you peeps. Love you. Anywho, actually, uh, the original settlers were contrary to popular belief, most likely not Celtic. Uh, Celtic also an acceptable pronunciation for that word uh, to all to all of the, uh, the pronunciation police out there listening. I prefer Celtic because I like hard consonant sounds, which is partially explains my affinity for profanity. Fuck. Mmm. Like it. Hey, Lucifina. Uh, DNA ancestry research conducted at Trinity University in Dublin and Queen's University has revealed at least two waves of migration to the island in the past millennia. And uh, the Celts were not the first wave. This is important to note in this episode. When, it, when a group says they're fighting for their land, uh, did they really have it first? You know, like whose land is it really? Uh, I think it's a very interesting thought to keep in our heads in this episode. Like America, Americans fought to liberate themselves from the British, but... We were not the first to settle this land, we being, you know, those of uh, European descent. The American Indians have a far more legitimate claim to America than Americans do, but they don't have, uh, you know, they didn't have the right uh, immune systems and weaponry a couple hundred years ago to hold on to it. Again, just an important note regarding what it means to be Irish or what it means to be of of any culture. Analysis of the remains of a 5,200-year-old Irish farmer suggested that the population of Ireland at the time was closely genetically related to modern-day populations of southern Europe, especially Spain and Sardinia. That's right. Uh, I, would, I would not have thought that, that the, the Sardinians originally snuck over to Ireland. Uh, yeah, this, this, uh, this farmer's, uh, her ancestors, originally migrated from the Middle East, the cradle of civilization. The Celts would later arrive from northern Europe. Now, I should also note that before humans made it to the Emerald Isle, Back in 11,000 BCE, Ireland was settled, of course, by leprechauns. Uh, they lived happily, enjoying the rainbows and shit and uh, gold and green top hats and all that fun stuff. And they were undisturbed alongside pixies and unicorns for a good 3,000 years before humans showed up. And then, you know, around 8,000 BCE, leprechauns were tragically hunted for their sweet leprechaun meat into extinction. Uh, pixies went into hiding only to, re- to return uh, occasionally to inspire uh, Disney characters and unicorns uh, were sold into sexual slavery where they remain. Now, this is the kind of stuff traditional educators are afraid to talk about, mostly because it's fucking nonsense. Around 4,000 BCE, it is estimated that farming made its way to Ireland. No one knows who figured it out. Maybe people living in Ireland or possibly some more evolved non-gingers showed up and showed those backwoods redheads how to use simple tools. (laughs) <laughs> Again, uh, sorry, not sure why that is so fun for me to do. Uh, far- farming marked the arrival of the New Stone Age. Around 300 BCE, Iron Age warriors known as the Celts. Yes, here's the Celts. They came to Ireland, Ireland, from mainland Europe. Yep, uh, the origin of the Gaelic culture that is so important to modern Irish identity. The Celts uh, have had a huge influence on Ireland, and there is a lot of renewed interest in their culture. Many famous uh, Irish myths stem from stories about Celtic warriors. Uh, the current first official language of the Republic of Ireland, or Ireland, Irish, or Gaelic stems from, you know, the Celtic language. Uh, today, by the way, only roughly 1% of uh, the Irish still speak Gaelic. Uh, a little random trivia about the Celts, since modern notions of Irish culture seem to be based in Celtic pride. Uh, the Celts were something else. It, it was said that the Celts would strip completely naked before going into battle. Something meant to impact their enemies psychologically, uh, yeah, seriously. Very terrifying, too, were the appearance and the gestures 
uh, gestures of the naked warriors in front, all in the prime of life and finely built men, and in and all in the leading companies, richly adorned with gold torques and armlets. Wrote the Roman uh, Polybius. Uh, he's 200, 118 BCE is when he lived in an account of a battle fought against the Romans by the Celts. Man, naked warriors. I can't believe they didn't at least like tie their wieners up or something. You know, I feel like that would be distracting running into battle with your junk bouncing around. Or, or maybe uh, it was worth it because it was distracting to the enemy. You know, it would be especially distracting to the enemy if they had boners. Think about that. Can you imagine a bunch of jacked, muscular dudes fully erect? Charging you with swords and spears and shit. That would definitely give them a psychological edge. Like You'd have to assume that if you didn't kill them, best case, you're getting raped on the field of battle. Worst case, killed. Actually, worst case, raped, then killed. Best case, killed, then raped. Terrifying. And, and I guess they really were ripped too. Just ripped, naked, floppy wiener showing. Or, or you know, raging, boner, sporting warriors. Uh, ancient sources say that the the Celts were jacked. <laughs> they detested being overweight and actually had penalties against it. They were like Spartans. An ancient student of world history uh, named Ephorus uh, wrote that the they endeavor not to grow fat or pot-bellied, and any young man who exceeds the standard measure of the girdle is punished. Oh, men, that suck for me. Uh, I try and suck in my my gut for pictures, but oh, I don't know if I would meet that girdle that girdle measurement that standard. I doubt it. I doubt it. I'm rocking a. A, a, a serious 34 waistline right now. I, I bet that's over the line. Uh, the Celts were also interested in druidism, or as it's more commonly known now, cosplay. They like to dress up in weird costumes, pretend to be mysterious. Uh, sorry, again, I, I actually like cosplay. Uh, not for me, but I love costumes people come up with. Uh, anyway, Robert with, with, yeah, Robert Tongue Twister, Robert Wisenyuski of the University of Warsaw, fucking Polish people and their dumb fucking names. Uh, notes that an AD, sorry, again, my, my wife is Polish. That's why uh, if, if you're new to the show, uh, if Polish stuff comes up, I'm going to take a shot cause it's fun for me. And they do have the fucking worst names. Uh, Wisenewski. I mean, it's just, it's fucking, it's way too many vowels. All right. Just, uh, put, put a fucking decent, like wise and then ski, wise ski. See, that's, that's not bad, but you got to fucking throw 17 other vowels in there. It's unnecessary. All right. Somebody talk to the Polish name committee and tell them to change everything. It's Smith or Johnson from here on out. You're either Smith or you're Johnson. No more skis. No more fucking crazy, but shit, ski. Garbage. Okay, anyway. Uh, In AD 43, Pomponius Mello wrote about the Gauls as follows, and yet they have both their own eloquence and their own teachers of wisdom, the Druids. These men claim to know the size and shape of the earth and the universe, the movements of the sky and of the stars, and what the gods intend. One of the precepts they teach, obviously, to make them better for war has become common knowledge, namely that their souls are eternal and that there is a second life for the dead. Oh, man. So they, that's, that's interesting. They had, a, they had an afterlife. And the old uh, Romans thought that um, that was just kind of, you know, to get them to, to, to fight harder. Like, hey, man, go uh, kind of like, I guess, you know, modern day, what is it, Islamic uh, fundamentalist warriors. Man, get out, there and, get out there and fight. It's okay if you die. It's, it's good for you, actually. You get to go straight to heaven. So the Celts had a little bit of that back then as well, apparently. And, um... Yeah, yeah, and, and 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 now the Celts really get going in Ireland, and then contrary to the beliefs of some, the Celtic race never had a cohesive kingdom, though. They were a loose amalgam of tribes, communities, uh, you know, various groups that came together for shared purposes such as defense, worship, trading, hunting. Kind of, you know, unlike the classical civilizations of Greece and Rome, the Celts left behind, uh, you know, very little that scholars today can classify with any degree of certainty. The Celts were primarily an oral tradition, 
I think that's part of why they're popular today. People love a sense of mystery. Interesting note about the Celts, uh, women held a high status in Celtic Ireland. Ancient tales from this era uh, tell of women going to, to war alongside their men, which made me wonder, were they naked as well? I didn't come across that, but if the dudes were naked, why wouldn't the women be naked and fighting? You know, that seems even riskier for them, especially if you're rocking some big old Irish D cups, right? Some of those milky white Irish D cups, that's flopping out in the field of battle. It's got to fuck up your balance when you're trying to let an arrow rip from the saddle. Uh, women also had a lot of control over whom they married, if they wanted to get married at all. The ancient custom of hand fasting meant that couples who intended to marry would live together for a year first. At the end of the year, uh, you know, either party could dissolve the relationship. Too bad that custom isn't around today. I think that's a great idea. In 82 CE, the Irish narrowly, uh, narrowly avoided war with Rome. Uh, you know, the Rome, the conquerors of Europe, uh, but they never made it quite to Ireland. According to Roman historian Tacitus, uh, Rome's military governor in Britain, Gnaeus Julius uh, Agricola, a very successful military campaigner, turned his attention to Ireland. He, he defeated England's Queen Boudicca in 61 CE and then continued to subdue the entire nation, bringing it under Roman rule. And then Tacitus claimed that a minor Irish king who had lost his throne in battle approached Agricola and offered to help him conquer Ireland. Fuck, traitor! Agricola considered an Irish invasion and even drew up loose battle plans for a takeover, but then he had to deal with the mutiny within his own army and a Scottish rebellion. Once he subdued the Pict uh, uprising in Scotland, another ancient, you know, kind of tribe, the Picts, uh, he was recalled to Rome by Emperor Domitian, Domitian, Jesus Christ. And then that was the closest the Romans ever got to Ireland. However, there is some evidence that Ireland may have attacked Roman forces in Britain. Numerous Roman coins and artifacts have been discovered in Ireland, and they may have come back from ancient Irish raid, uh, you know, raids uh, or the raiding of various British Roman towns, taking some loot back to Ireland. Not only did raiders take coins, they also took people. They brought slaves back to Ireland. One young boy slave taken in one of these raids went on to win his freedom and become one of the most important figures in Irish history, Palladius Patricius, better known as St. Patrick, the patron saint of leprechauns. And St. Patrick is famous for, of course, bringing leprechauns back to life with some black magic so that Irish gingers could feast on their sweet, sweet, tender meat once again and live like the savages they were. Uh, legend uh, holds that nothing tastes as heavenly as leprechaun ribs marinated with some pixie tears. And that's how we got the recipe for shepherd's pie. Now you know. Uh, of course, that's nonsense. No, St. Patrick is regarded as, a founder of, as the founder of Christianity within Ireland. Following the arrival of St. Patrick and then the arrival of other Christian missionaries in the early to mid-5th century, Christianity took over the indigenous religions of the isle. The Druids are out. They began replacing and or absorbing old pagan and Celtic traditions and beliefs by the year 600 CE. Uh, this reminds me of, you know, uh, what we learned way back in Time Sucks 7, you know, getting uh, the Halloween Origins episode, getting into that, you know, mixing of pagan and Christian mythology. Well, Irish Christian scholars are now excelling in the study of Latin, uh, which I knew some Latin, right? Growing up, that would have helped my pronunciation a ton. Uh, Greek and Christian theology in various monasteries throughout Ireland. Uh, the arts of manuscript illumination, metalworking, and sculpture flourish and produce such treasures such as ornate jewelry and the Book of Kells, an old calfskin book of the Christian Gospels found in 384 CE. And then the Vikings showed up. All right, at the end of the 8th century CE and during the 9th century, Vikings, from what we now call Scandinavia, began to invade and then gradually settle into and mix with Irish society. Man, the Vikings might be talking about them very soon. Some Viking topics been climbing the charts on the topic uh, voting portion of the app. Uh, the first attack by the Vikings in Ireland was recorded to have happened in 795 CE by Irish monks in the annals of Ulster. The burning of Reishru by the heathens 
and Ski was overwhelmed and laid waste. Fucking heathens. Ruining shit for locals. Burning villages to the ground. Laying entire towns to waste. Uh, 988 CE, the Vikings founded Dublin, Ireland's capital city. I uh, thought that was interesting. Dublin is easily the most known Irish city in Ireland among Americans, and it turns out it was founded by Vikings. Following the defeat of the Vikings by Brian Boru, the high king of Ireland at uh, Clontarf. Now, in 1014, Viking influence fades, but they uh, had a presence, you know, pretty heavy presence in Ireland for a few centuries. Despite that, only about 3% of Irish DNA is now Scandinavian, according to some DNA studies I found online. So, uh, you know, maybe they didn't rape and pillage as much as the legends say, at least not in Ireland. Uh, Scotland and England have a much higher percentage of Norse ancestry. Maybe, maybe it's against their religion to mate with gingers. I, I don't know. I don't know. Don't get all riled up, freckled people. Just tossing out ideas. Just tossing out possibilities. Or maybe DNA tests aren't testing for the blood of the right kind of Scandinavians, like the Norman Scandinavians. Let me explain that. 12th century saw the arrival of the Normans in Ireland. The Normans are associated with southern France, but before that, the Normans are believed to have hailed from Scandinavia. All right, all of that reminds me of last week's time suck, right? About the uh, the colonial devastation of Africa. You know, uh, you know, we're just we're all Africans. Uh, isn't genealogy interesting? I mean, seriously, uh, people say stuff all the time, like you know, I'm a quarter French, I'm a quarter Irish, a quarter British, another quarter Swedish, but really, you, you might just be a hundred percent Scandinavian. You know, your British, French, Irish, and Swedish roots might all hail from the same tribe of people from like a thousand years ago. I mean, we're all all the same in the end, aren't we? You know, one of the main reasons racism is just so fucking stupid. We're all just 100% meat sack, right? The British and Irish historically, uh, you know, fought tremendously. But also, if you go back, you know, a, a thousand, two thousand years, you know, share many of the same ancestors. The DNA uh, of Irish and British people very closely linked. Okay, so back to the Normans. In the 12th century, the Normans invade Ireland, begin a long, long period of English rule, subjugation, and exploitation that would lead centuries later to the formation of the IRA. At that time, Ireland was a collection of several kingdoms with a high king overseeing all. And then Pope Adrian IV gave the okay on an invasion to the English king, Henry II. And Henry allowed Norman mercenaries to take over most of the isle. And then King Henry sent in his own large army to control all of the isle. And then the Normans built walled towns, castles, churches. They increased agriculture, commerce in Ireland. And while the Norman invasion marked the beginning of foreign rule, the Irish were initially treated more as a colony by the Normans. The culture remained largely Gaelic. Uh, Brits who settled into Ireland fell into Irish customs, generally sided with locals against their British rulers as they uh, you know, became acclimated to the land. You know, so I guess what I'm saying is despite a new foreign presence, Irish culture not destroyed at that time. If anything, the country was ignored for the most part initially by Britain. Pay us some taxes, give us some of your goods, and we'll leave you uh, alone to be Irish and shit. And then that would all change in the 16th century. In 1534, King Henry VIII declared himself head of the church in England, and he ensured that the Irish Parliament declared him King of Ireland in 1541. He paved the way for the British culture uh, to spread into Ireland. And by the way, that, that, that Irish Parliament was, you know, underneath the crown. So I don't want you to think that, like, Ireland was independent at that time. They weren't. They had their own parliament, but, you know, basically the, the uh, British parliament could uh, kind of overrule them w- when they needed to. Okay, and he, and he paved the way for British culture to really spread in Ireland like never before. He created a huge religious cultural rift that has yet to this day to fully heal. He so, I mean, really, if you want to blame anybody, like any one person for the IRA, easily it is King Henry VIII. No joke. Uh, he sowed the seeds for its future from formation in several ways, including his formal condoning 
of what was called British plantations. Now, quick backstory on King Henry VIII before I explain what the plantations are. Henry VIII is famous mostly for having six wives. And a disagreement regarding annulling one of those marriages led to the English Reformation, which was the split uh, when the Church of England moved away from Rome and the Pope. So basically, Henry, or Hank, as I like to call him, uh, wanted one of his marriages, you know, annulled. And the Pope was like, enough. You can't just keep getting new wives all the time. And Hank was like, yeah, um, I hear you, but fuck that. Uh, I'm the king, and I want to do what I want to do. And then the Pope was like, nah, bro, no can do. Church won't allow it. And then King Henry was like, fuck that shit. I'll start my own church. And it's going to annul whatever the fuck I want it to annul. And then the Pope was like, uh, uh, please don't. Please do, uh, don't do that. Please do not do that. And Hank was all, mm, already done, bro. Already done, son. Uh, and that was it. And now we have a nation of Protestants. So unfortunately, Ireland, still firmly a Catholic island, right? Very much so in culture. And now Hank doesn't care for Catholics. So he officially bans it. Uh, no more Catholicism. It doesn't go away, but he wants it to. Irish Catholics have, have to maintain a connection to Rome in secret now. Priests who refuse to pay allegiance to him and turn their back on Rome are killed. So he lets his new English Protestant friends head on over into Ireland and basically just take whatever they want from Catholic Irish people already living there. The seeds of discontent really start to be sown. The Protestant settlers, settlers could have their quote-unquote plantations. Free land for Scottish and English Protestant kind of pilgrims heading over there. Uh, and the Irish Catholics, you know, not surprisingly, eh, they don't care for that. You know, so this migration and land grab would uh, last until the late 17th century. And from that period on, Protestant, Catholic, kind of British-Irish conflict would become a common theme in Irish history. The 17th century was a bloody one indeed for Ireland. Indeed. Uh, it culminated in the imposition of a harsh regime of penal laws uh, to further disempower Catholics denying them, for example, the right to take leases or own land above a certain value at all, uh, continued to outlaw the Catholic clergy, which did still exist in Ireland, the Irish refusing to give up the religion, and basically, you know, outwardly saying, yeah, 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 we're Anglican, but in reality, continue to be Catholic. Uh, the new laws forbid higher education and entry to various professions for Catholics, impose oaths of conformity to the state church, the Church of Ireland. Uh, during the 18th century, strict enforcement of the penal laws eased, uh, but by 1778, Catholics held only about 5% of the land in Ireland. Wow. You know, to go from the overwhelming majority, you know, or all of it, to, to about 5%. Uh, Irish Catholics have been virtually just completely and totally disenfranchised. And, and their Irish Catholic descendants would later form the majority of the IRA. Okay, so before the IRA, Irish Catholics and some Protestant nationalists tried to stand up for themselves politically. In 1782, a parliamentary faction led by Henry Grattan, Protestant, uh, successfully agitated for a more favorable trading relationship with England and for greater legislative independence from the P Parliament of Ireland. And again, so it wasn't even just the Catholics. He's Protestant. Some of the Irish Protestants also wanted to be a little bit more free from Britain. Uh, however, it did not work. Little was accomplished despite Grattan's efforts. London still controlled much of what occurred in Ireland. And then a decade later, inspired by the French Revolution— in 1791, an organization called the United Irishmen was formed with the idea of bringing Irish people of all religions together to reform and reduce Britain's power in Ireland. Its leader was a young Dublin Protestant uh, named Theobald Wolfe Tone. And Tone wasn't interested in trying to work things out politically. He was ready to go to war. Well, the United Irishmen were, were the inspiration for the Armed Rebellion of 1798. Despite attempts at help from the French, the rebellion failed. Tone was captured in battle by English soldiers. He was tried, executed for treason, 
And in 1801, the Act of Union was passed, uniting Ireland politically with Britain into the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. So they like reformalize it and they call it the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. I love how the name Great is added to Britain and Ireland gets nothing. <laughs> like, I, like I wonder if anyone when they were, you know, they had lost, but they were kind of coming up with the name was like, um, uh, can it be called uh, Great Great Britain and Awesome Ireland? Or maybe Great Britain and Impressive Ireland? Maybe Im- Im- Impeccable Ireland? No. Can it be at least called Good Ireland? No. Uh, not even like Great Britain and Pretty Good Ireland. Can we have So-So Ireland? That's, what, that's all we can have is So-So Ireland. So it would be the United Kingdom of Great Britain and So-So Ireland. You know, that one doesn't really roll off the tongue now, does it? Sounds worse than just Ireland, really. How about we stick with just Ireland? No, that's fine. Yeah, then in 1829, uh, more political efforts are made towards Irish independence. Uh, one of Ireland's greatest leaders, Daniel O'Connell, known as the Great Liberator, was central in getting the Act of Catholic Emancipation passed in Parliament in London. He succeeded in getting the uh, total ban on voting by Catholics lifted, and, uh, and they can now also become members of the Parliament in London. After this success, O'Connell aimed to cancel the Act of Union and reestablish an Irish independent parliament. You know, so maybe like they'd be part of the Commonwealth, but they would have, you know, way more independence. However, this was a, you know, a, a much bigger task to, to accomplish uh, for O'Connell and his approach to nonviolence was just uh, not supported by all of his countrymen. And then, uh, you know, political issues such as this were overshadowed by the worst disaster and tragedy in Irish history, the Great Famine. Now, potatoes were the staple food of a growing population of Ireland in the 19th century when blight, it's a plant disease, struck potato crops nationwide in 1845, 1846, and 1847. Disaster follows. Potatoes are suddenly inedible. People begin to starve to death, uh, especially since it had been centuries since they'd hunted those leprechauns and their sweet leprechaun meat into extinction. They're really fucking regretting that now. And the British government stepped in and makes it worse. While hundreds of thousands of people are suffering from extreme hunger, Ireland is forced to export abundant harvests of wheat and dairy products to Britain and further overseas. Kind of reminds me of Stalin's Ukrainian famine, right? Starving the farmers who are feeding your nation. And a lot of people do starve. Between 1845 and 1851, roughly a million people starve in Ireland and two million more people in those six years just get the fuck out. They just leave. And... Another 5 million gingers died, which would almost kind of be sad, you know, if uh, if they mattered. Sorry, <laughs> sorry again. No, but for real, a million died and 2 million left. And over 150 years later, the population of Ireland still has yet to reach its pre-famine level of approximately 8 million. Today, there is still less than 7 million people on the island in, in its entirety. That's counting Northern Ireland uh, and, and the rest of the, the, the island itself. So really thought there was more people in Ireland than that, by the way. On, on, the, on the Isle of Great Britain, over 65 million people. And the UK is about three times the size of Ireland geographically, but it has over nine times the population. So after the famine, Ireland continues to lose a lot of people to immigration, especially to the United uh, uh, States. And they've been turning our, our nation's cities into drunken shit shows every year on March 17th ever since. Uh, there was a uh, little effective challenge to Britain's control of Ireland after the great famine until the efforts of Charles Stuart Parnell, uh, at the age of 31, he became leader of the Irish home rule party, which became the Irish parliamentary party in 1882. And while Parnell did not achieve home rule, you know, the fight for self-government, uh, for Ireland, his efforts towards this movement earned him the title of the uncrowned King of Ireland. And the impetus he gave to the idea of home rule was to have lasting implications 
What was really fucking up the Irish independence cause now was the residual effects of King Henry VIII's old Hanks split from Rome, right? He'd opened up the door for Protestantism in Ireland, and then he encouraged Protestants to move to Ireland with his, uh, the whole plantation program we talked about. And then Northern Ireland, closest to the UK, is where most of these initial Protestants settled. And now they've been there for a few hundred years, you know, and they've been breeding. There's been a lot of Protestant penis in and out and back in and back out of Protestant vagina action happening. Right? They've, uh, they've also remained culturally tied to England. They've created a majority culture of Protestantism on the island in Northern Ireland. And now they have no interest in seceding and suddenly becoming the minority in a country that overall is still largely Catholic. So fucking Hank, man, he messed everything up uh, with his constant need to bang a new wife. Isn't it crazy, though? It's like the butterfly effect. You know, like, like that action, just the reverberations is still being felt today. People still dying today. Because that guy was like, no, I want to fuck who I want to fuck. <laughs> it's crazy. So in the late 19th century in Ulster, a province of Northern Ireland, the majority of people are Protestants. They're concerned about the prospect of home rule. They favor the union with Britain. The Unionist Party, based on remaining with England, is formed in 1891. By the early 20th century, it was led by Sir Edward Carson, and he threatened an armed struggle for a separate Northern Ireland if independence is granted to Ireland. So shit's getting more complicated. You know, you got one group of guys being like, hey, man, if you don't give us our independent, we're fucking out. We're, we're going to cause some, you know, shit. We're, we're, going, we're going to war. We're going to fight. And then you have this other group going, hey, if you can let these guys out, we're going to go to war. Uh, and then the Home Rule Bill actually is passed. I didn't know this, man. Ireland came very close to being, you know, its own nation back in 1912, but it doesn't quite make it into law. And then basically the Home Rule Act is suspended, you know, just kind of shelved because of World War I in 1914. You know, first famine slows down the movement, and then now a war, a world war, slows down the movement. Well, the, na the Irish nationalists convince themselves that home rule is going to be granted after the war if they support the British war effort. And so John Redmond, the leader of the Irish Parliamentary Party, encourages his people to join the British forces and fight, and many do just that. However, a minority of nationalists don't trust the British government, and their distrust leads to one of the most pivotal uh, events in Irish history, the Easter Rising. And the Easter Rising really leads to the IRA. On April 24th, 1916, Easter Monday, two groups of armed rebels, the Irish Volunteers and the Irish Citizen Army, seize key locations in Dublin. The Irish Volunteers, led by Padraig Pierce, and they'd been training for the defense of Ireland since 1913, under the pretense of defending British-led Ireland. But really, they'd been preparing for this moment. They've been uh, dyeing their hair black for several years, and then one day they wash it out, and it's fucking ginger. It's like a fucking sneaky-ass ginger army has been building right up under their British noses. No, the other group of rebels was, was the Irish Citizen Army led by James O'Connolly. Oh, I, I just added an O. His name is James Connolly. I've, I've been reading so many Irish names this week. I'm just adding an O in front of everyone's name. This group also began forming in 1913, and it formed out of a labor union strike. ICA leaders organizing militia force to protect workers' interests in Dublin. Well, on April 24, 1916, the conflict began when Irish forces attacked Dublin Castle in Dublin, seat and symbol of British power. It was a royal residence, home of the Viceroy of England, uh, the British monarchy's Irish representative. Other rebels took over the post office where the proclamation had been read. They raised the Irish tricolor flag. Padraig Pierce read the proclamation of the Republic, which declared an Irish Republic independent of Britain. The proclamation opened up with, In the name of God, in the dead generations, Ireland, through us, summons her children to her flag and strikes for her freedom. Battles ensue with casualties on both sides and among the civilian population. The British are caught by surprise, but after the initial attacks, quickly regather 
turned the tide in their favor. They outnumbered the Irish rebels 10 to 1. So the Easter Rising doesn't last long. It finishes on April 30th. The rebels surrender at the GPO, that post office they'd taken five days earlier uh, and, and been defending against British police, soldiers, and militia. 485 people lost their lives in the struggle over those few days. Over three-quarters of those killed were non-rebel, and just over half were civilians. And initially, it looked like the cause for Irish independence suffered a huge setback with this loss. The majority of the Irish public was not in favor of this attack, not in favor of this uprising. They were opposed to it. However, the British fucked up. Public opinion turned back in favor of the rebels when the British administration responded to the uprising by quickly executing many of the leaders and participants in the rising. They had kangaroo court trials quickly executed. All seven uh, you know, dudes who signed the proclamation and seven others were hastily court-martialed and executed, including Pierce and Connolly. Now, the British had turned them into martyrs in the fight for Irish independence. Two of the key figures who were involved in the, in the rising uh, who avoided execution were Amon de Valera and Michael Collins. Michael Collins, if his name sounds familiar, he's the dude who wrote Jurassic Park. Apparently, he wrote Jurassic Park while going on to fight for Irish independence. And really interesting here, Jurassic Park is about the fight for Irish independence. Uh, so that made me like that movie you know, even more. The Dinosaur Island represents Ireland, and Jeff Goldblum represents British imperialism. Laura Dern represents Scotland. The plant-eating dinosaurs represent the people of Ireland, and the velociraptors are the IRA. And that big pile of shit that Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum investigate in the movie represent Irish redheads. <laughs> All right, I'm done. I really, I really have no problem with redheads. That was a long way to go just to take another cheap shot at them. Uh, other, other than I did have an Irish redhead for a stepmom, and I was not a big fan of her. That part's true, actually. But actually, I find, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't want to say anything more about redheads. Other, I think there's a lot of beautiful redhead women. I'll, I'll just stop there before my wife listens. It's like, what the fuck? Why are you talking about redhead women? Okay. And uh, I, I highly doubt any of you are still with me, so I, I, I will stop as well and, and let you know that Michael Crichton wrote Jurassic Park. Michael Collins, he did not write Jurassic Park. Michael Collins was an early 20th century uh, Irish freedom fighter and politician, and he and Amon de, de Valera were not done fighting for Ireland when they were not executed. In December, uh, the December 1918 elections, the Sinn Féin party, led, may, led by Amon de, de Valera, won a majority of the Ireland-based seats in the British House of Commons. Now, the House of Commons, by the way, is the lower house of the two-house British Parliament, which is comparable to Congress in the U.S., kind of. Elected officials representing the needs of various political populations gathered to vote on legislation. Uh, the leader of the largest party in the House of Commons is the prime minister. Technically, the prime minister has to be appointed by the king or queen, but it's, it's really just a formality. Uh, the British crown, uh, it doesn't have any real political power anymore. Just a vestige from a former life, a relic kept for the sake of tradition, national pride. UK government is such an interesting mix of old and new, monarchy and modern democracy. Like, like it functions, but it's, it's strangely complicated. I studied British government years ago in London where I studied for a semester, and I remember the professor uh, uh, who was a British professor a lot of times basically saying the equivalent of like, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's odd. Like, like they still ha have the House of Lords that works with the House of Commons and Parliament to pass laws, and some of the seats in the House of Lords are hereditary, like going back to actual lords. Like you have to be born into the right family to get a seat in government in that particular seat. But now some of the other seats are appointed but not voted on. It's very confusing. One foot in the past, one foot in the present. Uh, the House of Lords is called the Upper House of Parliament but really has far less power than the Lower House, which is people who are voted in. Uh, fuck. It's, uh, oy vey, oy vey, oy, 
Anyway, very complicated. Uh, on January 21st, 1919, the Sinn Féin members of the House of Commons gather in Dublin to form an Irish Republic parliament called uh, Du Yeren. Du Yeren. And they uh, unilaterally declared power over the entire island of Ireland. And now we have the IRA. They were like, fuck your House of Commons. We've built our own. Now, what followed uh, Duyeren's uh, declaration is known as the War of Independence. The Irish Republican Army is formed, the army of the newly declared Irish Republic. And it begins to wage a guerrilla war against British forces from 1919 to 1921. The IRA morphed directly out of the existing Irish Volunteer Army. Now, it started officially on January 21st, 1919. That was the day Ireland officially formed a breakaway government, declared independence. That same day, two members of the British Organized Armed Police Force, the Royal Irish Constabulatory, uh, were shot dead in uh, RIC in County uh, Tipperary by IRA members acting on their own initiative. The IRA was convinced that a free Irish Republic could only be gained by force. Some have been preparing for this action since shortly after the Easter Rising incident. From necessity, they adopted a guerrilla campaign. The conventional war on a, on a large scale kind of a open conflict situation was not feasible given their lack of men, training, and arms. Uh, they were seriously outmanned, seriously outgunned, uh, and then they were also organized initially into numerous small, small, fragmented, fiercely independent units who, acting on their own initiative, launched frequent low-level surprise attacks. So it wasn't initially a terribly uh, well-organized uh, organization either, just like these bands of freedom fighters, independently led, but all fighting for the same cause. And, you know, they would attack and then just slip back into, uh, you know, civilian population. Uh, they were never a traditional army. It was never a traditional war. It, w- it wasn't two armies, you know, fighting in an open field. The volunteers attacked government property, carried out raids for desperately needed weapons and funds, and to disrupt the British administration, assassinated prominent individuals. Their most significant single target was the Royal Irish Constabulary. Now, this police force uh, was the eyes and the ears of Dublin Castle, had the prime responsibility for maintaining law and order, and its members were vulnerable, increasingly unpopular in Ireland, and, and the best available source of arms. So the IRA would ambush, ambush, you know, RIC patrol cars, toss a grenade inside one, you know, uh, kill everybody, take their weapons, that sort of thing, assassinate an RIC officer from an apartment window, have somebody else grab his gun, disappear. Uh, They drove the RIC mad. The RIC couldn't fight back if they couldn't find the enemy. You know, the civilian population was at first shocked by the IRA's actions, but rapidly came to support them out of patriotic sentiment and because of the repressive nature of the British government's response. The RIC uh, soon needed reinforcements, and the RIC Special Reserve was formed. Temporary uh, constables recruited in 1919, largely from Irish World War I veterans. And their uniform gave rise to the nickname of Black and Tans. Uh, and they were basically basically a British-backed militia. Now, interesting trivia for real trivia here. <laughs> uh, today, today, a black and tan is a pint of half Guinness and uh, half Bass Ale, an Irish stout and an English ale. But because of its association with Irish soldiers fighting to help the British uh, in many parts of Ireland, it's still called a half and half to this day due to the negative association with the old black and tan militia. Well, the more the IRA attacked the RIC and the black and tans, the more frustrated those groups got. Unable to find IRA members, they started taking their frustrations out on those suspected of harboring IRA members, just innocent civilians, and innocent civilians start to be killed. Uh, They started destroying businesses such as dairy creameries they suspected of being used to fund IRA efforts. Violence towards citizens uh, turns public sentiment further against the British. Support increases for the IRA. On September 20th, 1920, an RIC officer is killed in the small seaside town of Belbriggan near Dublin. So here's an example of of the IRC really overreacting 
uh, to attacks. And obviously, you know, uh, never cool to have one of your officers gunned down, but but this is very, very not cool how they responded. Uh, they break in, loot, and burn four pubs, just fucking burn them to the ground, burn a hosiery factory, and also burn down 49 homes in retaliation because they think that, you know, some of those people were supporting the IRA. Uh, after the attacks in Belbriggan, other similar incidents, Sinn Féin's strategy of making Ireland ungovernable by the British is beginning to work. Uh, the Sinn Féin government backed the IRA campaign. Michael Collins, a leading figure in both Sinn Féin and the IRA, played a pivotal uh, coordination role in all of this. He provided volunteers with funds, arms, equipment, appointed their officers, encouraged them to act, identifying targets, issuing instructions, offering military advice. His most critical contribution lay in the provision of intelligence, using his sources, his network of informers. Uh, they even penetrated Dublin Castle and the police forces, his squad. Uh, a group of hand-picked agents eliminated many of uh, Dublin's detective constables, the G-Men. And the IRA was never a huge military organization. Over the course of the War for Independence, only 15,000 total volunteers were actively involved. With around 3,000 in service at any given time, uh, they provoked Westminster into more brutal and repressive retaliatory uh, responses. They rallied more IRA support via uh, Sinn Féin publishing propaganda relating to the uh, police atrocities. Their publications were confirmed by independent journalists printed in British and American newspapers. And a mounting chorus of criticism uh, begins to rise in Britain and America regarding the British government's actions. Okay, so the violence in Ireland peaks on November 21st, 1920, uh, Bloody Sunday. The first Bloody Sunday in Ireland's independence battle. Not the later one in 1972 that you too would go on to sing about. On this Bloody Sunday, every woman in Ireland had their period at the same time. They had been building towards this, training for years, staying in the same homes, getting aligned. You know, they wanted to make an incredible statement of solidarity against the British. And they all had their periods heavy flow, tossed their bloody knickers in the faces of British police officers. Many of them died instantly of disgust. A few died of blood poisoning and a couple perverts died of food poisoning. Was that too far, even for the suck? I don't know. I guess I'll find out soon enough with some emails. And the battle is over. No. Uh, Britain packs up, leaves the island, grants you know freedom, and never returns. Of course, that did not happen. Of course, of course, that was made up. On this bloody Sunday, Michael Collins' IRA squad gunned down 19 suspected British Army intelligence officers living as civilians in Dublin houses and hotels. Damn it. 19 in a day. It's a lot of assassinations. Well, the incident uh, illustrated the quality of his informants and the continuing devastating capability of the IRA. Sadly, it immediately stung the security forces uh, of you know the British security forces into brutal retaliation. Hours later, newly recruited members of the police force fired indiscriminately into the crowd at a football match in Dublin, killing 12 innocent people. Uh, due to the Dublin football shootings, Irish public uh, sentiment turns further against England. Now, in response to the escalating attacks, the British Army given the powers to intern persons on suspicion without trial by the end of 1920. Uh, a consequence uh, of the arrests which follow, 4,500 uh, by August 1921 was that large numbers of volunteers go on the run. They became, in effect, professional revolutionaries now, they differentiated from their part-time colleagues and, and with no prospect of a normal life until the British rule has ended. In Munster especially, they organize themselves into flying columns, they're called, mobile units of about 100 men based in remote camps or safe houses, ideally suited to guerrilla warfare. And they attacked the IRC with increasing relentlessness and effectiveness. Uh, despite their success, by mid-1921, Sinn Féin, uh, the leadership of Sinn Féin, favors negotiations with the, Brit uh, with the British instead of continuing to fight for total independence. 
Uh, they're worrying that the continued violence is going to break the the, the volunteers, going to break the uh, – uh, they have a lack of men. You know, they don't have as many men, arms, and funds. Uh, there is an increasing buildup of British troops in Ireland. Uh, they doubt the capacity of the Irish people to endure a lot more fighting and all the retaliatory attacks, you know, that are involved. And, and they know that the British are, are sick of the insurgency and the relentless guerrilla attacks. And they just basically feel like, okay, now's the time to kind of, you know, uh, make a move, get a good deal done. You know, one that will not require IRA surrender and imprisonment. So in December 1921, a treaty is signed by Michael Collins and the Irish and the British authorities. A clear level of independence is finally granted to Ireland, kind of. They were initially only given uh, the original Guinness Brewery in Dublin. And for a decade, that was enough. And many of the Irish felt they got a good deal, actually. Uh, They were able to drink stout Irish beer at a discounted rate. And uh, that felt, uh, in their drunken state, as good as freedom. Kidding, of course, being ridiculous. No, at the bargaining table, it was agreed that the northern, largely Protestant portion of Ireland would still belong to Britain. The contents of the treaty would end up dividing Ireland both uh, geographically and politically. Ireland was divided into Northern Ireland, six counties, and the Irish Free Free State, 26 counties, established in 1922. And not all of the Irish freedom fighters are pleased with this decision and division, of course. And this division has kept the IRA alive to this day. Uh, without this division, there is no reason for the IRA. So people were so divided about the treaty in Ireland that a civil war follows from 1922 to 1923 between pro and anti-treaty forces uh, with former brothers-in-arms in the fight for the Irish independence, Michael Collins, who was pro-treaty, obviously. He was the guy who uh, brokered the deal. And then there was Amon de Valera, who was anti-treaty, and now they're on opposing sides. So now the IRA has split into two. Anywhere from 2,000 to 5,000 uh, die in the fighting that follows. Uh, eventually, Michael Collins' pro-treaty forces are able to pressure De Valera's anti-treaty IRA forces into a ceasefire, but not before Collins himself is shot and killed in an ambush by anti-treaty forces on August 22, 1922. And then the consequences of the Civil War can be seen to this day. The two largest political parties in Ireland have their roots in the opposing sides of this Civil War. There's uh, Fine Gael, the pro-treaty party, and then there's uh, Fianna, Fianna, uh, Fianna Foyle. Anti-treaty. You should see these words, by the way. Fianna Foyle is F-I-A-N-N-A-F-A accent mark I-L. Mm-hmm. That's fun. A period of relative political stability follows the Civil War. And then the IRA just go away and everyone gets along and the British and Irish work together to create Lucky Charms. Uh, the Irish, you know, cereal made with the tasty marshmallow bites. Uh, those represent the Irish. They made those. And the British create the shitty, crunchy uh, wheat puffs or whatever the hell those things are. And they split the profits evenly. Yeah, right. Following the ceasefire of 1923, the IRA morphs into the organization we think of today, basically. Their leadership may have signed a treaty to stop fighting, but they uh, still consider the war to be fucking on. They still want an island free of British control. They want Northern Ireland. You know, most isn't good enough. And, and many Catholics living in Northern Ireland, they still want this as well. So fucking King Hank, man. The mess he has made. Attacks and recruitment continue by rogue IRA fighters against Protestant targets over the next few years, especially in Northern Ireland, leading to the organization uh, being declared illegal in 1931. Uh, The Catholic Church even denounces the IRA. The Roman Catholic bishops issue a pastoral letter uh, declaring that the Irish Republican Army is uh, sinful and irreligious and no Catholic can lawfully be a member of them. An excommunication order is given and extended to members of all organizations outlawed under the Public Safety Act. Uh, after a series of IRA bombings in England in 1939, uh, Doyle Aaron, the lower house of the Irish Parliament, took stringent measures against the IRA as well, including uh, provision for internment without trial. 
The bombings were masterma- masterminded by Seamus O'Donovan. Now, that's an Irish name. Seamus O'Donovan. What was your name? Seamus O'Donovan. Seamus O'Donovan. I'm uh, Seamus O'Donovan. I'm Chinese. I'm clearly Chinese. Uh, no, that's a very Irish name. An explosives expert and IRA member since the War of Independence, Seamus orchestrated what was called the Sabotage Plan or S-Plan against England, a two-year IRA reign of explosive terror on British soil. And the IRA identity has become very uh, intertwined with bombings, and this is when they began. You know, in, in, you know, truly began, uh, became their main way of attack. Seamus planned various bombings in the British cities of Manchester and London. Uh, they bombed the main power supply in, for Birmingham. They bombed the main gas lines for Williams Deacons Bank in London. In response to these and other attacks, all power stations, gas works, telephone exchanges, and the uh, Droitwich transmitting station are put under police protection. They bombed the London Underground. Mind the gap! the city's subway system, the Tottenham uh, Court Road station, and the Leicester Square station were bombed in February of 1939. Plans to blow up Buckingham Palace uh, were reported by the Times to have been found in Belfast. Uh, Belfast. Uh, the Irish government responded by passing the Treason Act in 1939. They gave them the power to execute members of the IRA. Uh, the Offenses Against the State Act is also passed in 1939. Gives, the, uh, gives them the power to detain IRA suspects without a trial. So now they could just, you know, capture, detain, execute suspected IRA members. Uh, the legislation does little, though, to slow the violence. Seven separate IRA bombings occur in just one day in 1939 on March 31st. On May 5th, tear gas bombs explode in two Liverpool cinemas, causing 15 injuries. Four bombs explode in Coventry. Two more bombs explode in London. Uh, on June 9th, letter bombs exploded in 20 English post boxes. Every post box in London was searched for further IRA devices. And these are just a few of the many, many examples from this. Bombs are going off in England virtually every week, all through 1939. Railway stations are bombed. Banks are bombed. Bridges and power stations are bombed. In a few years, over 600 IRA members are imprisoned during the two-year S-plan. During this time, there were 300 IRA-planned explosions. Incredibly, only 10 deaths and 96 injuries result from the attacks. Uh, The IRA wasn't trying to kill in these attacks. They were trying to destroy infrastructure and wreak havoc on Britain's economy, and for a while, pretty effective. And then organized attacks cease temporarily. Five IRA leaders are executed. Increases in the security surrounding rich infrastructure. Targets in Britain uh, made it a lot harder to blow shit up. English police also seized large quantities of raw explosive material from the IRA in 1940. The seizure of war material and inability to get newly acquired war material into Britain under wartime restrictions made bombing even more difficult. Uh, The campaign also generated a good deal of anti-Irish sentiment in England, which increased the British public's suspicion of Irish people in general. That makes sense. Uh, Making sneak attacks even more difficult. All these factors lead uh, to the IRA attacks tapering off around early to mid-1940. By mid-1947, the IRA would be down to about 200 members in total. In the 1949, uh, the 1949 IRA convention, the IRA orders its members to join the political party Sinn Féin, which would now become the civilian wing of the IRA. While Sinn Féin publicly denies association uh, to this day, they are still thought to be tied to the IRA and have been uh, long thought to historically been tied very closely to the IRA. Uh, Between 1951 and 1954, the IRA began to uh, really rearm itself with armed raids on British military bases in Northern Ireland and England and stealing guns. Over the next few years, the IRA divided into various factions, each carrying out an occasional raid here, a bombing there. They also reorganized into a more or less cohesive military unit by 1956, planned what would be called Operation Harvest, fighting what they called a border campaign. 
On the 12th of December 1956, the campaign is launched with simultaneous attacks by around 150 IRA members on targets on the Irish North Irish border in the middle of the night. A BBC relay transmitter is bombed in Derry. A courthouse is burned in uh, Maherafelt, as was uh, a B specials post near Newry, and a half-built army barracks at Enos Killen was blown up. A raid on Go uh, Barracks in Armagh is attempted as well. The IRA issued a statement announcing the start of the campaign, saying, Spitter-headed by Ireland's freedom fighters, our people have carried the fight to the enemy. Out of this national liberation struggle, a new Ireland will emerge, upright and free. In the new Ireland, we shall build a country fit for all our people to live in. That then is our aim, our independent, united, democratic Irish Republic. From this we shall fight under, until the invader is driven from our soil and victory is ours. Exactly like that. Oh, fuck. Didn't you just feel like you were in Ireland for a second? I did. Kind of. On the 14th of December, an IRA column under uh, Sean Garland uh, detonated four bombs, one of which blew in the front wall outside Lanaska uh, RUC station before raking it with gunfire. Further attacks on Derlin and uh, Roslia uh, RUC barracks on the same day are, are beaten off. The RUC being the Royal Ulster uh, Constabulary, uh, successor to the RIC. Uh, roughly 9,000 of these police officers would be injured during the Troubles, another series of IRA attacks that lasted for years that we'll, t- we'll talk about soon. On the on the 30th of December, an IRA force attacks a derelict RUC barracks again, killing RUC Constable uh, John Scally, the first fatality of the campaign. And then in 1957, the IRA intensifies their efforts, committing a total of 341 attacks in Northern Ireland just in that year. Uh, but then by 1958, the frequent capture of IRA members and waning public support. People are sick of the fucking bombings. Uh, the movement begins to fade away again, and the attacks cease by 1961. Although it had petered out by the late 1950s, the campaign was officially called off on uh, February 26, 1962. In a press release issued that day, the IRA Army Council stated, The leadership of the resistance movement has ordered the termination of the campaign of resistance to British occupation, launched on 12 December 1956. Instructions issued to volunteers of the active service units and of local units in the occupied area have now been carried out. All arms and other material have been dumped, and all full-time active service volunteers have been withdrawn. Foremost among the factors motivating this course of action has been the attitude of the general public whose minds have been deliberately distracted from the supreme issue facing the Irish people, the unity and freedom of Ireland. The Irish resistance movement renews its pledge of eternal hostility to the British forces of occupation in Ireland. It calls on the Irish people for increased support and looks forward with confidence in cooperation with other branches of the Republican movement to a period of consolidation, expansion and preparation for the final and victorious phase of the struggle for the full freedom of Ireland. Uh, what an interesting way to call off the fighting. That was a very violent uh, way, way to call off fighting. That's uh, hilarious to me. Look, we've done fighting for Ireland because not enough of you fuckers are ready to fight for us as well. So it's time for peace. But hopefully... You all come to your senses and we can get back to to, to fighting very soon. We can get back to killing as soon as possible. We would love nothing more than to mow down every British Protestant man, woman, and child, or at the very least, uh, send them to hell or back to England. But today is the time for peace. Hopefully tomorrow will be the time for fighting again. We're really hopeful that we'll be fighting again soon. Or even later today, we could fight as well if that suits you. We're ready to fight at the drop of a hat. Yeah, so they're very, very uh, still ready to fight. And then in 1969, the violence does pick up again. Uh, and it was all because of an early 20th century comic book, Pootie and Juju. Uh, and Pootie and Juju stirred the NRA pot back up. A young IRA member, Seamus O'Donnell McFlanagan or McRiley Donald McDonald, 
picked up Pootie and Juju issue 82, Fool's Gold, excuse me, Fool's Gold and Pootie Town. In that issue, Pootie borrows Juju's life savings and buys 100 acres of barren land in Oklahoma, specifically because it looks like he had seen a rainbow, a rainbow in there. See, Pootie uh, had become convinced there must be a leprechaun hiding some gold in the Dust Bowl brushy plains outside of Tulsa. He started mining and also partitioned the land into little mining camps to encourage other hopeful prospectors to move to a place he'd petitioned the U.S. Postal Service to call Pootie Town. And this did not set well with Juju. First off, Pootie had just wiped out Juju's savings, which was mostly built out of inheritance he'd recently received from his aunt Ting Tang's passing from a tragic accidental overdose of high fructose corn syrup the year prior when she'd found seven boxes of Twinkies that were set to expire the very next day and ate them all in one sitting because you ain't done supposed to let the food go to waste now, hear it, and you feel that. That's a direct quote. And Juju was going to use that money to have a giant Twinkie sculpture made out of Aunt Ting Tang's remains, built to commemorate her untimely death. And Juju was pissed. And then Pootie rubbed some salt in Juju's wound by not at least having the decency to call his mining camp Juju Town, or at least Ting Tang Town. It was his aunt's money, for God's sake, and Juju screamed at Pootie, put it in your lunchbox, Shirley. And then Pootie knew he'd gone too far. And he said, sorry, Juju, I done for sure thought we'd both be more rich and the money wouldn't be missed. And Juju said, too little, too diddle, Pootie. And then they laughed really hard for no reason for a very long time because the author of this issue had a firm deadline, couldn't think of a better way to end the story due to being distracted by working on a new book for a religion he'd recently invented to recover from financial ruin. Yes, that author's name was L. Ron Hubbard. And old Seamus O'Donnell McFlanagan or Mick O'Reilly or Donald McDonald read all that and assumed that the pot of gold represented Irish independence and Pootie represented the IRA and Juju represented the Anglican-British oppression. And L. Ron Hubbard represented the British government and the crown. And L. Ron wanted him to think a unified Irish state comprising the whole island was fool's gold, an impossible dream. And he wasn't about to let the Brits confuse him like they did Pootie. And he was going to bomb the fuck out of them. And that is how he would spend Aunt Ting Tang's money on arms. The Ant. What's he doing? If you're confused by the last few minutes, uh, you should be. If you're a first-time listener, well, sometimes odd characters make time-suck cameos. And by sometimes, I mean a lot of times. Hashtag Keith Suck Weird. Anywho, enough of that nonsense for now. In 1969, the violence did pick up again. And it would last for 28 straight years in what would become known as the Troubles. A civil rights movement had formed in Belfast in January 1967 Uh, drawing inspiration from the Campaign for Equal Rights in the United States led by civil rights leader Dr. Martin Luther King, subject of Time Suck episode 42. Since the creation of Northern Ireland in 1921, the Ulster Unionist Party, UUP, had held power in Northern Ireland. Now, the UUP drew its support from the predominantly Protestant Unionist loyalist community, and many of the policies it enacted marginalized and discriminated against the Catholic nationalist uh, minority. In the 1960s, the Catholic working class in Derry lived under pretty dreadful conditions. Housing is terrible. Uh, they tended to be very heavily unemployed. For the most part, they lived in an area which has now become known as the Bogside. The people of the Bogside actually represented the majority of the population in the city of London, Derry, a.k.a. Derry, and, and yet they were politically impotent. They were seen as second-class citizens. They had no control over their own city because of the gerrymandering in the local government system, and that's what led to them becoming foot soldiers for the civil rights movement. And they started protesting in the streets, peaceful protests, organizing marches. 
but then riots began breaking out. Rioting continuing to be commonplace in Derry and Belfast throughout the summer of 1969, a period which also saw the first deaths of this new conflict. On, uh, well, new, but also very old, obviously. On August 12th, 1969, a protest sparking a, uh, sparked rioting in the Catholic Bogside area, and two days of serious violence broke out across Northern Ireland. With the police unable to cope with the scope and scale of the disturbances, Northern Ireland's government uh, at Stormont uh, requested that the British Army be sent in to restore order. Initially envisioned as a brief intervention, Operation Banner was to become the longest continuous campaign in the history of the British Army, only coming to an end in July 2007. By the end of 1969, various no-go areas have been established. Peace walls are being built in Belfast and Derry, separating Protestant and Catholic neighborhoods. Just these huge walls separating neighborhoods. Paramilitary groups on both sides begin to reemerge, the IRA being the biggest. Right, And in theory, the British troops were sent to Derry and Belfast to maintain order and to protect the Catholic minority, in theory. However, the army soon came to be seen as a tool of the Protestant majority by the minority Catholic community. This is reinforced by events such as Bloody Sunday in 1972, when British forces opened fire on Catholic civil rights demonstrators marching in Derry, killing 500 gingers, and more importantly, 13 actual people. This is the Bloody Sunday uh, Bono wrote a song about. And of course, I made this shit up about 500 gingers. God, I hope you know that. Okay. January 30th, 1972. Let's talk about Bloody Sunday. In the Bogside area of Derry, Northern Ireland, British soldiers shot 28 unarmed civilians during a peaceful protest march. 14 people die, right? I said 13 earlier. Uh, it was 14. 13 die outright right there uh, immediately, but another guy actually dies four months later, and his injuries uh, or his death was attributed to injuries from Bloody Sunday. Many of the victims were shot while fleeing from the soldiers, and some were shot while trying to help the wounded. Other uh, protesters were injured by rubber bullets or batons, and two were run down by army vehicles. Two investigations were held by the British government about the shootings. The Widgery Tribunal, held in the immediate aftermath of the incident, largely cleared the soldiers and British authorities of blame. Described the sh soldiers' shooting as uh, bordering on reckless, but accepted their claims that they shot at gunmen and bomb throwers. Uh, the report was widely criticized as a whitewash. And then 16 years later, the Seville Inquiry was established in 1998 to reinvestigate the incident. And following a 12-year inquiry, uh, Seville's report was made public in 2010, concluded that the killings were both unjustified and unjustifiable. Uh, it found that all of those shot were unarmed, that none were posing a serious threat, that no bombs were thrown, and that soldiers, quote, knowingly put forward false accounts to justify their firing. On the publication of the report, British Prime Minister David Cameron made a formal apology on behalf of the United Kingdom. Bloody Sunday increased Catholic and Irish nationalist uh, hostility towards the British Army and exacerbated the conflict. Support for the IRA rose, and there was a surge of recruitment into the organization, especially locally. The Troubles are generally agreed to have finished uh, with the Belfast or Good Friday Agreement of April 10, 1998. Between 1969 and 1998, estimated that well over 3,000 people are killed by paramilitary groups on both sides of the conflict. Some of the most significant tax, attacks of the Troubles include the Birmingham bombings of November 21st, 1974. That's when bombs went off in two central Birmingham pubs, killing 21 people, injuring 121 others. In 1972, the official IRA uh, declares a ceasefire that has lasted ever since, technically, a splinter IRA group, the Irish National Liberation Army, has kept the violence right on going uninterrupted. On August 27, 1979, the IRA killed 79-year-old Lord Montbatten, a British naval officer who was one of Churchill's favorite naval commanders in World War II and the second cousin once removed of Queen Elizabeth. 
and he was killed while on vacation. Dude survived two world wars on the sea, and then the IRA blew up his fucking boat. Three other people were uh, killed with him. Lady uh, uh, Brayborn, the elderly mother of Mountbatten's son-in-law, two teenagers, a grandson of Mountbatten, and a local boatman. Uh, the same day, 18 British soldiers, mostly members of the Parachute Regiment, are killed by two remote-controlled bombs in the Warren Point ambush at Warren Point County Down. And then explosive weren't the only tactic the IRA uh, used to try and force change. Ten IRA members starved themselves to death in hunger strikes in 1981 in a Belfast prison. Man, I've never understood a hunger strike. I, oh. In 1987, IRA prisoners in, North, in a North Irish prison launched a hunger strike as a protest against the revocation by the UK government of a prisoner of war-like special category status for paramilitary, paramilitary prisoners in Northern Ireland. They just wanted to be seen as soldiers. They wanted to be seen as soldiers fighting a legitimate fight, not as terrorists. Well, the strike is called off before any deaths when the government seems to offer to concede to their demands. However, the government then reneges on the details of the agreement. So the following year, IRA prisoners call another hunger strike. And this time, instead of many uh, prisoners striking at the same time, the hunger strikers start fasting one after the other, after the other, after the other, in order to maximize publicity over the fate of each person. And then 10 IRA prisoners die in a row. Holy shit. Talk about dedication to a cause. I am not dedicated to any cause enough to starve myself. I cannot imagine. I mean, I just, you know, I'd love to say I'm more noble than that or more heroic. Uh, -uh. I can't, I definitely can't imagine being the 10th guy to do that. Right. You've watched nine comrades in the struggle starve to death. And now it's your turn, turn, man. And you know, they're offering you food, right? They don't want you to starve to death. They're trying to get you to eat. You'd think they'd be start off and you some good food, man. Once they started doing that to me, I'm fucking done. Well, it's got to be such a rough way to go, man. Such a slow way. I, I just don't understand how instinct doesn't kick in on day six or seven at most. You know, and you still don't eat food being brought to you. Ah, there's no way I, 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 there's no way I could have that willpower. I would make it two days, you know, and maybe initially I'd try and be tough. You know, you can take your oatmeal. You can shove it up your ass. I'm not caving in on my principles. Not, not Dan Cummins. No way. No how. Oh, mm, you can take, you, you can take that buttered biscuit. You can go fuck yourself, buddy. This guy doesn't quit. Ah, shit. Is that, is that sausage gravy? Is that sausage gravy with a lot of pepper on those biscuits? Oh, oh man, is that sea salt? Oh, God damn. Apple cider? Son of a bitch. Ugh. You know what? Nice try. Nice try, but it's not going to happen. Oh, oh man. Two over medium eggs? Home fries? With fresh ketchup. Fuck. Whatever. Whatever. You know what? Whatever. I'm strong. I'm a little uh, dizzy. Uh, I'm strong, but I'm strong. A hot turkey sandwich with real mashed potatoes. Freshly carved turkey, gravy made from drippings, cranberry jelly, and a whiskey ginger, and a Dutch apple pie, and a fucking root beer float, and devil's food cake made from scratch with Godiva dark chocolate. Uh, all right, enough. I don't even, I'm so hungry, I don't remember why I want to strike in the first place. Just get it over here. Get it over here. Pass it over. Uh, give me 10 minutes to eat, and I'll just say whatever you want me to say. Uh, and then after the hunger strike, more bombings. Uh, there's a theme of this episode. It is bombings. On April 10th, 1998, the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, is reached that ends the troubles. The agreement, you know, reached uh, was that Northern Ireland was part of the UK and would remain so until a majority of the people, uh, both, you know, uh, of Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland wished otherwise. Should that happen, then the British and Irish governments are under a binding obligation to implement that choice. Also, irrespective of Northern Ireland's constitutional status within the United Kingdom or part of United Ireland, the right of the people of Northern Ireland to identify themselves and be accepted as Irish or British or both is recognized. So they can hold British or Irish citizenship or both. And the IRA agrees to end their fighting. I got to say, that does seem like a pretty good deal, right? I mean, you understand what I'm saying? The citizens living in Northern Ireland who wish to remain part of the UK get to do so, you know, so they win. 
But if the Irish Catholic pro-unified kind of Ireland minority should ever become the majority, they can vote to unify with Ireland if the rest of Ireland wants them to be a part of them still. Right. You know, so either way, if you're an Irish citizen, you know, you get to live where you want uh, on the island, you know, north or, or the rest, and, and you, you get more recognition. And it's been peace ever since, right? No. Not even six months later, a car bomb goes off in Omaha, a little city of about 20,000 in Northern Ireland, carried out by a group calling themselves the Real Irish Republican Army, a provisional Irish Republican Army splinter group who opposed the IRA ceasefire in the Good Friday Agreement. And that bombing kills 29 people, including a woman pregnant with twins. Fuck and injures some 220 others. More casualties in this attack after the ceasefire than in any one single attack during the Troubles. And the violence continues to this day. Is it going to end ever? Let's hop out of this timeline and really talk about that. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. Okay, a lot of information today, and there's so much more. Some form of the IRA has been active for almost 100 years now, and the fight for the entire island to be under one rule, a rule free from British influence, has never completely gone away. Last to this day. And, and, and we'll look into the current status of the IRA and examine if it still has aspects of being a revolutionary group or if at this point it's just a bunch of terrorists. I mean, if the majority of the population doesn't want a revolution, how do you justify continuing to fight for one? But before we dig into that, let's check in with the idiots of the Internet. Okay, before we get into idiot, idiotic uh, comments, say, I think it's worth sharing some comments that are not necessarily idiotic under a video called The Republic's Dissident Youth, Ireland's Young Warriors, uploaded by my favorite YouTube channel, Vice. Uh, it's a video from 2015 about a group of militant teens who operate under an IRA splinter group. Right, there's so many, there's so many IRA splinter groups. Uh, kids who are willing to die to get British influence out of Northern Ireland. And, and here's what some people have to say. User Matt Hopkins posts, inspirational, intelligent, and brave young men and women. I'm a Brit, but these people have more morality, strength of character, and courage than any uh, Brit kid. Uh, Irish people need to understand that Ireland will never be free until the entire 32 counties are united as one, and the two Brit puppet parties which have dominated Irish politics for the last few decades are rejected wholesale at the ballot box. Wake up, Irish people. Reject your puppet masters. So, interesting post. A British sympathizer to the IRA cause. Uh, another sympathizer is user King of All Goyams, who posts, Good lads, keep up the honorable fight, respect and support from Texas. Then we get to user Thor117, who is not a sympathizer, uh, and who posts, These fools are not warriors in any sense of the word, and they disgrace this country with their carry-on. They have no idea about what they are fighting for. Sinn Féin, the IRA, are all one and the same, all scum. They bombed Dublin City, killed innocent civilians, robbed banks, credit unions, post offices, post offices every week or every other week during the Troubles. As it stands today, morons like these are no better than neo-Nazis. They claim to be Republicans and that they have no issue with all the murder, theft, and other criminal activities that their own worthless little groups act out against the people of this nation. The basic truth is the rich, steaming buffet of bullshit that these kids have been served to get them into line with this mindset has no relevance. The existence of these fools only causes more problems than it solves. And there are a lot of posts like that one. A lot of posts comparing the IRA to ISIS and other terrorist groups. And, and also a lot of uh, more support posts like uh, user Anabolic Horse who posts, Brilliant, I'm from the UK, get the English out of Ireland. So 
the Irish fight for independence still a hot button, still a hot button right now. Important issue across the pond. Uh, videos about the IRA regularly get millions of views. So many people on each side of the debate. A lot of respect for the youths in the comment section, plus a lot of people basically saying, enough already, you guys are fucking terrorists. And then there's the comments of users like Andy Aguilar, who thinks he solved the whole situation. I love that. I love that when there's been a, a struggle for like decades, if not centuries, and then some dumb shit on YouTube thinks they can just throw out a sentence and just fucking wrap it all up. And he just says, why don't they move to Ireland from Northern Ireland? Question mark. God, God damn, good job, Andy. You did it. You figured out what no one else could for the past hundred years. Way to oversimplify an incredibly complex issue, you fucking dumb bastard. Yeah, why not just walk around Northern Ireland with a megaphone for the next few weeks? Just clear everything up for everybody. Just, you know, just go around. Attention Irish who want to join up with the rest of Ireland. I have figured out what you need to do. You don't have to keep fighting. You don't have to wait. Just uproot your lives and move. No big whoops. There's room for you to live in Ireland. There's lots of farms and land. Please, just move south. No biggie. An independent Ireland already exists. Just head south and find it. You're welcome. Love Captain Oblivious. Just Captain Obvious idiots like this. You know, someone doesn't like everything about their country. Why don't I just fucking move to a different country? That's perfect for them. I love how that's uh, an option in people's heads. You know, like, you know, you don't like your country? Well, just fucking move. You know, if there's one thing this world is full of, it's amazing opportunities waiting in other countries. You don't like working at 7-Eleven in Tennessee? Ah, no big whoop. Just go become a doctor in Montreal. They have a shortage of doctors. They don't even need degrees. Uh, they're waiting for you and your whole family and just community to head on over. Uh, yeah, you don't, you don't like, uh, you know, uh, you know, fucking mopping floors. That's okay. There's a bunch of stockbrokers jobs in Bolivia right now. Just, just for the taking, just get over there. Just move your whole entire community over there. Uh, user Richard Gonzalez really supports the IRA cause even offers his help posting as a Mexican. I'd pay my respect to you lads and I'd be happy help. I'm gone. Visit you lads soon. My support from East Los Angeles, California, hashtag Mex, Mexi Irish Alliance. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that old Dick Gonzalez is never going to make it to Belfast. And, and how is being a Mexican relevant to this fight? What battle for independence is Mexico fighting? Mexico has been free for almost 200 years. Or are you trying to give California back to Mexico? Mexico only had it, California, for like 25 years, and that was over 150 years ago. And you edited this message. How did you edit it and still write, I'd be happy, help, I'm gone, visit you lads? User Luanis Casasbacas. Uh, makes uh, quite the pivot with his comments saying, the IRA are freedom warriors. My mother's maiden name was Case, Casey Alert, Vigorous. Iceni, early Britannic tribe, Land, Kingsland, Norfolk, Boudicca's tribe. <sighs> okay, so the IRA are freedom warriors. Your first sentence, while stating the obvious, definitely makes sense. But then you try to connect your mother's maiden name to vigilance because the word Case is similar to Casey, and Casey is Gaelic for alert, and that makes you part of their cause. And then you bring up Iceniland, uh, Iceni, uh, being a tribe of Celts uh, living in Britain way back in the Roman era, a couple thousand years ago near present Norfolk, and, and their leader, Queen Boudicca, uh, revolted against the Romans, and when she lost the revolt, committed suicide rather than be subjugated to British rule. And you think your genealogy goes back to her even though there are no birth records from that entire civilization because it completely disappeared from the records by the time the Normans showed up. Well, you're really stretching shit thin to align yourself with the Irish independence movement. Why can't you just say you support them? Why do you have to try so hard to be part of their movement? I feel your pain. I've never been to Ireland, but my last name is Cummins, and Cummins is, Scottish, uh, is a Scottish name. And I had ancestors in Scotland a few hundred years ago, and if you trace it back far enough, 
some of my ancestors definitely probably took a trip or two to Ireland, and one of them married an Irish woman. And, uh, you know, there's that. And my grandmother's maiden name is Johnson, as in John, as in John O'Reilly, a guy who definitely seemed at least part Irish that I met at a pub in Boston, who I got to say, seemed like a pretty cool dude. And I've also had sex with a few gingers, and I wasn't even grossed out by it. So you know, so you know what? Fight's a good fight. I'm right here with you. I'm in the fucking trenches. Right, right here. Same team. Same team. So, you know, there's that. And I'm going to end on a little reason now instead of more idiocy. A comment that leads to my conclusion uh, about this episode. YouTuber Jonathan Hurst reposts, the Northerners want to remain in the UK, so why not let them? Land and government belong to its inhabitants and citizens, not abstract ideals like Ireland. Very interesting and important thought. Not just idiocy today in the idiots of the internet. All right, so first, with these conclusions, where is the IRA at right now? Well, here's a little excerpt from an article in The Guardian UK from just two weeks ago. said a dissident Irish Republican terror group that severely maimed a Catholic police officer in Northern Ireland and has been responsible for shooting dozens of young men in so-called punishment attacks has declared a ceasefire. The mainly Belfast-based real IRA splinter group organization said the environment is not right for armed conflict. Two other hardline Republican factions, the new IRA and the continuity IRA, continue to back the use of armed struggle in their opposition to the peace process in Ireland. So, yeah, I'd say the fight wages on still. And now the big question to me is, is it worth it? Uh, you know, is the IRA in its various forms, uh, you know, a terrorist group or, or a bunch of freedom fighters? Well, I, I guess yes to both, actually. I mean, I think way back in the early 20th century, I'd say they leaned far more towards freedom fighter than terrorists. They were, you know, it was an, an oppressed group of people. Uh, fighting for freedom and independence. Now, I, I got to say, they lean a lot, to me, more towards terrorist group, you know, because they're not fighting for for freedom uh, of a culture anymore, you know. Uh, I, I think I think they're, it's like they're just fighting just to fight. I don't know. You know, to piggyback on Jonathan Hertz, you know, what does it really mean to be Irish? Think about the timeline we just marched through. You know, wh- which Ireland are the IRA fighting for? Are, are they fighting for the pre-British plantation Ireland? You know, are you really fighting for a culture from the early 16th century? Do you really feel that connected to that? Or are you fighting for an earlier culture? Are you fighting from, uh, for pre-12th century Ireland? Or are, are you fighting for Ireland before the Normans invaded? So, you know, are, are you fighting for the Ireland that existed from 300 BCE to the 12th century CE? Is that it? You know, but what about the 8th century through the 11th century CE when the Vikings were mixed into Ireland? Is, are you fighting for the Vikings? Are you fighting for that? I mean, look, I get the logic. The British Protestants marginalized the Irish Catholics following Henry VIII's split with the Pope, and the resentment lingers, and discrimination has continued. But Irish Catholic is now the culture minority in Northern Ireland. If somehow the IRA did convince the UK to give Northern Ireland to the Republic of Ireland and have one unified Emerald Isle, it only makes sense that decision would kick off even more war, right? That the Northern, you know, Irish, the Anglican, you know, equivalent, you know, they'd have their militia. They'd be fighting now. You know, for Northern Ireland to go back to the way it was for them and for their parents and grandparents. Go back to the UK. So again, what the fuck are you really fighting for? It reminds me of various battles in the Middle East and in the South and Eastern Europe. You know, terrorist groups fighting for the, for the land that their ancestors laid claim to hundreds of years before the occupiers came in and took it. But is it still really your, your land? I mean, or did you lose it? You lost the fucking war. You know, accept a new normal and move on at some point. 
If you're not currently being oppressed, stop living in the past and killing innocent people over some vague notion you have over independence. You know, the, the living Protestants of Northern Ireland aren't the oppressors. They're people who didn't ask to be born in Northern Ireland any more than Catholic minorities did. did. You know, they're just there. You know, they just were born there and they're just living their lives. And whether you like it or not, it's now their land just as much as it was, you know, is your land. Fight for equality, you know, not just a, another setup for another civil war. You know, fight for, you know, political equality. So everybody, minority group and majority group, all get treated equally. But don't, but for a takeover, it just seems fucking silly at this point to me. Looking at it from an outside perspective, you know, it's a, it's such a weird mindset, man, to want things to go back to the way they were long before you were even born. You know, it's our land. No, it's not actually. Used to be. Sometimes it feels like, you know, uh, fighting in that situation isn't brave or noble. You know, it makes about as much sense to me as like if I were to go back into Spokane to a home I owned in Spokane and that I lost uh, in what I considered unfair circumstances in the 2008 housing market crisis. You know, I mean, what if I just showed up there tomorrow and, you know, just knocked on the door. People answer. I'm like, all right, man, get the fuck out. I used to live here and I want things to go back to the way they were when I owned it. It wasn't fair how I lost it. So get the fuck out of this house. People who bought it fair and square. I don't know. That's just how I feel. It's just my opinion. I don't live there. I don't really know what it's like. From an outside perspective, though, I got to say, hard to feel that the armed cause of the IRA is still just. I thought I would come to a very different conclusion. I've always identified more with the Irish than the British uh, because supposedly I have a lot of Irish blood in me and I've always romanticized the Gaelic Irish culture. But maybe it's time to focus on improving life for, for all of people who live in Ireland and, you know, people who feel marginalized through political channels and peaceful protests. Maybe it's time to, to make peace with a divided island, right? It is just geography. And we are all just meat sacks. Okay, time for some top five takeaways. But first, last week I did wonder if the IRA characters in the FX series Sons of Anarchy, those gun traders, were based on reality for those other people who watch the show. Uh, do the IRA have a history of smuggling guns? Well, after a little research, yes. But the TV show seemed to have it backwards. In the Sons of Anarchy, the motorcycle gang buys guns from IRA members. Doubtful much or any of that has went on. There are numerous cases, though, cases investigated by the FBI and other organizations of the IRA smuggling guns from the U.S. Uh, back to Ireland. That appears to be very, very valid and true. Future time suck topic Whitey Bulger, the Irish mob boss Johnny Depp played in Black Mass. He did claim to smuggle guns to the IRA. Felt that supporting the cause of Irish independence legitimized his criminality a little bit. Uh, and the IRA dealt in a lot of guns, but doubtful they sold them to California biker clubs. Okay, now time for top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one. The Celts are not the original inhabitants of Ireland, and Gaelic is not thought to be the original language. Ireland is an island that was settled in waves of different cultures going back several thousand years as opposed to islands like the Samoan Islands, settled by one culture and inhabited by only one culture for thousands of years before Europeans found them just a few hundred years ago. So what does it really mean to be Irish? Number two, the first Irish Republican army fought the British in the 1919 through 1921 War of Independence, and the group has been led by many men and fought under a variety of different names ever since. The only thing that has unified the various IRA groups over the years is an entire island of Ireland unified under Irish Catholic rule. Is that cause? Number three, the IRA historically have been really, really into blowing shit up. I now have a totally different appreciation for the Irish car bomb, an alcoholic beverage composed of a half shot of Bailey's, a liqueur, half shot of Jameson whiskey dropped into a pint of Guinness. Thousands of people have died from bombs, most of them civilians, since the IRA's inception. Uh, no exact count has ever been compiled, but 3,637 deaths are attributed to the IRA during the period of the Troubles, which accounts for only about a third of their total history. Number four, 
Over 1 million gingers were killed in IRA bombings in just 1986 alone, the least active year for the IRA, and no one cares. And number five, new info, two-parter, part one. Number four of this list was complete horseshit. And part two, U2 isn't the only famous Irish band to sing uh, about the IRA. The Cranberry song, Zombie, is about an IRA attack. It was inspired by the IRA bombing in Warrington, Cheshire, England. On March 20th, 1993, two children, Jonathan Ball and Tim Perry, were killed. Lead singer and songwriter Dolores O'Riordan uh, claimed that Zombie speaks about the Irish fight for independence that seems to last forever. The lyrics even say it's the same old theme since 1916, right? I love that song. I uh, love that Cranberries album. No need to argue. That and everybody else is doing it, so why can't we? College staples of mine. Fantastic 90s rock. I'd sing along to the whole song of the zombie, right? It's the same old theme since 1916. In your head, in your head, they're still fighting. With their tanks and their bombs and their bombs and their guns. In your head, in your head, they are dying. And then she goes into that fucking yodeling shit, right? Until today, I thought she was talking about World War I. Nope, the IRA. Uh, who knew? Who knew I was singing about the IRA all those years? Rest in peace, Dolores, by the way. Uh, she died on January 15th in a London hotel room. Autopsy results will not be complete until April. Uh, we lost, fuck, man, another good uh, a singer, another good uh, vocalist, another good songwriter. It's been a terrible last couple of years we've had uh, as far as that. Hopefully, uh, we can add rest in peace to the IRA soon. Enough's enough. The War of Independence is over. Time suck. Top five takeaways. The IRA sucked. Nah, no way more about Irish history now. Hopefully, uh, do some more Irish. Uh, sucks going forward until I can get that accent down. Uh, now, come out and see me, damn it. Come have a great time. Charlotte, Atlanta, Birmingham, Huntsville, Na- Nashville, Houston, Dallas, San Francisco, all coming up in April. Everything but San Francisco in one big week. Just night after night, different city. Most of the time, different state. Show after show. More info coming up at dancummins.tv. Check out those dates. Snatch up some tickets. Uh, the more stand-up tickets I can sell, the more markets I can return to later with some little live time suck tours. Uh, the Patreon account is live for those of you who want to sign up to become Space Lizards. Uh, thanks to all of those of you who have already done so, man, over, over 1200, it's been amazing. And again, five bucks a month to be a space lizard, access space lizard features on the app for some, I'll get into that for a second. And then the website for everyone, uh, vote on topics, send in voice messages to the secret suck, listen to the secret suck on Thursdays, get a new standup album, feel the heat for signing up, uh, the age of the space lizard. Man, it is here Uh password for 20% merch discount and access to the space lizard merch is on Patreon, uh, on, on some of the posts. Uh, you can check out uh, patreon.com slash timesuckpodcast for that secret info and explanations of how to use everything is on the Patreon site. And, and as soon as time allows, in mid-February, uh, some video tutorials to make using it all as easy as possible will be done. And like I said at the beginning of this episode, I, I have, if you want to re-listen to the start of this episode, laid out instructions on how to get, uh, for you Android users, how to get the secret suck uh, you know, installed in your in other podcast apps. So you can have an easy listening experience, and then you can go to the website, timesuckpodcast.com, for the voting, topic voting, and for the voice message features until Google Play, their store, uh, finally releases the update. It has been maddening. But just know that BitElixir is literally messaging them through the uh, for the App Store portal, which is the only way they allow themselves to be contacted every single day. And we are working every single day on trying to uh, give you as many other options until that's solved. Uh, thanks to social media manager, Sydney Shives, events coordinator, and amazing patron saint of the at Secret Space Lizard social media accounts, Harmony Velikamp, 
show notes editor extraordinaire Jesse Dobner, and the entire Time Suck team. Uh, thanks for all the reviews. Thanks for spreading the suck. Every review helps every time, and you guys write the most wonderful things, and I read every review. Helps so much. Uh, this Friday on Time Suck, we're going to have a bonus topic, and it's going to be whatever won the most recent vote on Instagram, at Time Suck Podcast. Follow the suck to know in advance what the bonus topics are going to be and to be able to vote on them. Winner of the vote uh, becomes that topic every time. And now, time for some Time Sucker updates. Updates. Get your Time Sucker updates. First update today, goofy one, about the topic voting sent in by Carl LaFong with, uh, you know, with <laughs> all the app and website troubleshooting you know, I've been dealing with lately. Uh, it was a nice little breath of fresh air, a nice little fantastic reminder that many of you are having a great time with the app functions. Uh, Carl wrote in saying, Dear spear-faced, beer, beard-puke-licking, soft-cock-shaming lord of the suck, being a space lizard has given me the ability to continually vote up Hall & Oates as a time suck option. I had no idea how much I wanted to know the true story behind Maneater until I saw it on the list. Keep up the great work and remember that pronunciation is a tool of the lizard Illuminati to keep the mushed mouth proletariat down. Keep on sucking, Carl and Topanga. Oh, man. Well, thank you, Carl. I love the name Topanga, by the way. Uh, <laughs> it's random. But uh, thank you. Uh, and yes, so many topics on the list. As of Tuesday, February 8th, when I recorded uh, this episode, Jack the Ripper and Nordic Gods, man, neck and neck to become the March 5th Monday Time Suck topic. Hall and Oates, only a few hundred votes behind with 12 votes. <laughs> 12 votes total, not 12 votes behind. And thank you for the for the kind words regarding my mush mouth. And now a little Doc Holiday update I thought was cool from Matthew Isaacson. Dearest Reverend Dr. Lord, whom suckest thy most, I love the Doc Holiday episode of The Suck. Tombstone is possibly my favorite movie of all time, so I was happy to hear that it was somewhat historically accurate. Hell yes. The idiots of the internet portion really got my hackles up. And hearing some dipshit talk trash about the confrontation between Doc and Ringo had me yelling obscenities at the radio as I was driving home. User Don Stone should be hung <laughs> by his thumbs from a tree so that Lucifina can repeatedly kick him in Helios' worthless apple bag while Bojangles impregnates him. Yes, Bojangles' seat is so powerful that he can impregnate a man. Oh, praise Bojangles with disciples of Nimrod. Hail Nimrod and keep on sucking because you, sir, are a daisy indeed. And thanks for making me spit soda out of my mouth and nose with your mispronunciation of papyrus. Ah, love your comedy and love the suck. Oh, man. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, thank you, Matthew. And uh, yeah, papyrus, papyrus, starting to feel normal now. I feel your Doc Holiday rage. I feel it, Doc Holiday. He would have mowed old Donnie dipshit down. Okay, and now uh, another another Doc Holiday update uh, from Tyrell Cruz saying, "What's up, Master Suckington? I've been listening to your comedy for a long time and been religiously listening to your podcast. It's fucking awesome. Got my girlfriend listening to it as well. We love it. Quick update, at least I think." Doc Holliday's famous quote of I'm your Huckleberry may not be correct. He may have said, I'm your Hucklebearer. This is interesting. Huckle are the handles on the side of coffins used by the, the pole bear. So Doc's basically saying, I'll carry you to your grave. Now I haven't I haven't researched this uh, from what Tyrell said, but I I just I threw this in right before recording, just because that is fucking awesome. If that's true, that makes it even cooler. So he, and, and then Tyrell says, I do have to say, though, Huckleberry sounds cooler than the latter, and I've confirmed this is, uh, and I haven't confirmed this is true, but it makes sense. You're doing a badass job. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Tyrell Cruz. Uh, and he says, P.S., I don't think you've done any musicians yet, so I suggest Frank Zappa, the crazy jazz oddball of the 60s and 70s. Listen to the thing. Uh, listen to Fish. It's crazy and hilarious. Uh, well, Tyrell, I did do Kurt Cobain. That was a while back, and that was my only one. 
And yes, man, more musicians in the future. I have always been fascinated about Frank Zappa because he does seem crazy as shit. And I appreciate you just, uh, you know, again, it's been a kind of a crazy week with all the tech stuff. I appreciate the kind words. And uh, and Huckleberry, I hope you're right on that. I hope that is true because that, to me, that actually does make it even cooler. Like Huckleberry is fun and random, but if he's saying like, I'll carry you to your grave, oh, that's some badass shit. Okay. Now uh, a more serious email from Christina Carmado, or, or sorry, Camardo, uh, regarding the Cobain episode I was just mentioning. She says, hi, Dan, I've written in the past about topic suggestions, but never had much more to say until I finally listened to the Kurt Cobain episode. I'm a counselor at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, and while I deeply appreciate you advocating the line and urging listeners to call, I have an issue with you calling Cobain selfish. Calling someone who commits suicide selfish or cowardly, I think, is a drastically unfair criticism. People who have severe mental health issues are in a constant and painful battle every single day of their life. It wears them down emotionally, mentally, and physically, and leads to thinking that others will consider irrational, or leads them to, uh, to thinking about actions that others will consider irrational or illogical. But in these people's minds, suicide can be their only way out. You called Kurt selfish because he was leaving behind a family and fans. While I understand calling someone selfish for leaving a family and responsibilities behind, I think it's selfish for people to expect him to continue living a painful life every single day just to deliver them more music since he was so musically gifted. So he's supposed to bear the weight of his daily debilitating pain for your appeasement? Who's the selfish person then? I, of course, do not advocate uh, advocate suicide, but find it very close-minded when people call suicide victims selfish. While it's a touching analogy, would you consider someone who dies from cancer selfish? Mental health issues like cancer are a disease. It's not feeling sad. It's a biological makeup of the mind that makes it work differently. Just like a cancer victim whose biology is making them physically sick. It's an illness of the body versus an illness of the mind, and I find that frequently... Illnesses of the mind are judged much more harshly because it cannot be seen or fully understood. A suicide victim was at a place in their life where death was the only way out. And like cancer, a cancer victim who has exhausted all medical possibilities that failed, death is inevitable for both people. I just want people, including you, to have more awareness of the seriousness that mental health issues can have on a person. You stated that after your wife left, you were having suicidal thoughts. Now imagine that pain and having it every single day for years, sometimes a person's whole life. And to make it worse, you can point out the origin of your pain. For people with depression, there is no origin. Because of the makeup of your brain, you're just depressed. Like Kurt, you could have beloved fans, great career, wealth, fame, and family, but yet there is always something constantly there in your head tearing you down. Anyway, sorry for the rant. The issue is just very close to my heart, and I wish to spread more mental health awareness to our society so everyone has more understanding. Would love to hear your thoughts if you have time. Thanks, Christina. P.S. So fucking pumped for becoming a space lizard. Well, Christina, I hope you are a space lizard, and uh, and I hope you're enjoying it already. And you know what? I appreciate that message because you, you really did make me think and really kind of made me change the way uh, I, I do feel about suicide. You know, I, I think I even talked about it in that episode where – you know, it is hard to see what's going on in people's heads. You know, mental illness isn't treated with the same respect as physical illness. And I didn't even realize that I was perpetuating that by kind of shaming the people, I guess, uh, in a sense, or people that have committed that act. Because, yeah, I was just thinking of it like like as the way I would think about suicide, where I can't imagine leaving my kids, but I'm not mentally ill in that way. I probably have some shit going on. Uh, you guys have listened to enough episodes to know that I'm not completely stable, but I, I don't have that. I don't know what it's like to feel just depressed all the time and to, and to carry that weight all the time in like a chemical part of your brain way. And so just to say that it's selfish is oversimplifying a very complex issue. And it, you know, that's not fair to the families of the victim to basically say like, Oh yeah, well he was just an asshole who, who abandoned you guys. 
you know, that's not that's not fair to like the family of Chris Cornell. That's not family fair to the you know the the family of the uh, Lincoln Park. You know, Chester Bennington, I believe his name is. You know, lead singer. Uh, so yeah, so thank you, Christine. I, I will I will actually work on being more tolerant and more understanding of of that particular situation going forward. And again, I and I and I know you're not saying. I think I always thought in my head I was like advocating it in a way or endorsing it if I didn't come down on it. I don't want people to just lightly take their lives. But, you know, if they've been through that much pain, they do it. I also don't need to, like, shame them, you know, uh, post-mortem. So thanks for thanks for bringing some awareness, Christina. Last one, real quick, from Jessica Casillas. Uh, immigration updates. Now, she says, Master Reverend of all the mother suckers, I love this podcast and have binged on the episodes over a few times. Oh, that's awesome. I know it's in the past, or I know in the past I brought up the subject about you doing an episode of immigration, and I'm definitely well aware of how touchy the subject is, especially right now. But my husband and I have been going through the process to get his papers for the last two years. And recently, my children and I have been without him since he was recently temporarily denied and now is stuck in Mexico until further notice. I want to give you our side. I have no issues in talking about it for the main purpose of educating people that don't see the whole picture and only uh, know what they see on the news. When you're up for the task, let me know. Hail Nimrod. Give a pat to Bojangles for me and damn Lucifina be gone. Sincerely, your shortest redheaded sister uh, time sucker, Jessica Casillas. P.S. I hope to hear from you soon. Well, Jessica, I did just message you real quick. And uh, yeah, I am going to do an immigration uh, episode. I will do it. I've only been putting it off because some issues are easier to kind of narrate than others. And that one is going to be a motherfucker. It's very touchy and I want to do it justice. And I feel like it's very important. And with all the secret uh, suck stuff I've been dealing with, you know, the next few weeks, it's just I'm not going to have the brain space, I think, to tackle it properly. But I do want to do that episode, will do that episode. Um, yes. So I hope to hear back from you. We can figure out a time to talk. And I know there's some other listeners who are experiencing it on a personal level as well. And it is something, uh, I think that is important to kind of educate people about, because if you don't have anybody, you know, dealing with in your life personally, it, it can be very easy to say, well, just get the fuck out, just fucking get him out. And that's a very simplistic way of thinking. And that's not what we do here on time suck. And thank you, Jessica. Uh, hail Nimrod to you. Sorry. You're dealing with that bullshit. Thanks time suckers. I needed that. We all did. All right, everybody. Well, uh, thanks for listening again. Know that we're working on smoothing out everything with the secret suck. Uh, Don't blow anybody up this week. Uh, Please don't do that. And God damn it, keep on sucking. Hey, Mom. First things first. Thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.